Episode 23 of TML Talking. I am your host, Chris Lund, and joining me once again, it is our first full-length episode in a while, is my usual co-host, you know him very well, Mr. Adam Proto. Adam, how are you today? I'm so relieved to be back. I thought I might never get here, and uh, Todd Crocker would uh, usurp me uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the podcast rankings, so uh, happy to be back. If I and to be honest, in, in all fairness to yourself, if I was to usurp any, if I was going to have anybody usurp you, Todd would be pretty high on my list. Uh, Todd Crocker, for those of you who haven't listened to our Marley's Playoff episodes, uh, a fantastic human being, a fantastic yep. hockey commentator and and hockey reporter, and uh, certainly one of the best in this city. And it is a pleasure to have him on when we have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I mean, it's an exciting time to do it this is. show. It is. It is. It has been a whirlwind couple of weeks. When you think of the Toronto Marlies beginning their playoff run and, and advancing into the second round already, getting set for another tilt against the Albany Devils in the very near future, you have a series of ping pong balls that came up in the good favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you have a couple prospects making waves. You have a new signing in the organization who's getting set to play in the World Championships. It's it's a fun time to be doing this show. It is, and and you know we've been through a, a pretty tough season overall. Um, you know, not that it was still wasn't fun, and you know we're privileged in this job to to cover the team at any time. But I think you, when you start to see the good news start to trickle in, and then you know start to maybe cascade in a little bit more, that's the nice, the nice part. And the time of year is nice too. If if we can't be in you know playoff hockey talk with the Leafs, it's nice to be in there with the Marlies to kind of see where the future is. And and uh, yeah, last Saturday was great too. The uh, the lottery was was kind of cool to be in the media room when uh, when the process was uh, was underway at, at the CBC building here in Toronto and and my heart I tell people my heart was beating like a jackrabbit at the end and uh, when the final two teams were coming up because you kind of realized okay that could actually happen and it did yeah. so you know good fortune uh, hopefully more of that uh, down the road so let's jump into it. Mm-hmm. Five, six, eight, thirteen. Did you get it tattooed yet? I have not had it tattooed yet. I'm sure someone has beaten me to it. Because I kind of joked before the draft, they're like, oh, maybe I'll get the four numbers right. tattooed on my body. I have not done that yet. Right. But here we are, uh, five, six, eight, thirteen, four pretty prominent numbers in Leafs history when you consider Barocco, Bailey, Ron Ellis, and Matt Sundin. Mm-hmm. I, I, you were in the media room. What was the atmosphere like there? Because I was not there. I had my own ritual that I had to plan out because obviously last year the Maple Leafs didn't win the lottery, so I had to go full 180 from what I did a year ago. Good idea, and it worked. And it worked. Mm-hmm. So well, mm-hmm. ideally I never have to do it again. But <laughs> right. um, what what was it like just being there and being in that atmosphere and being amongst the reporters and the, and the management members of other teams? Yeah, it was it was quite tense. I think you know Brian Burke actually provided some um, some lighter – uh, lighter conversational fare. If you watch the broadcast, he was he's in known to do prime Brian Burke for him, and and you love him for that. Um, and then you know, as things um, moved along, every every team, I think, in the first six or seven, kind of fell where they should have fallen in terms of their odds to win. So that was a little anticlimactic. And then as soon as Winnipeg didn't show up where they should have showed up, that's when you started to hear the oohs and the rumblings and whispers in the room. And and uh, and then when you got to four. And I think everybody that was from Toronto was just saying, please just don't 
let it be four, not right? Four. That's not four. Um, so once that happened, then it got a little bit more tense and excited. And, um, and then when you saw Columbus come up, you, you realized, okay, we're, you know, we're really going to get either probably Austin Matthews or Patrick Lina. Um, so you had to be happy at that. And then when the actual announcement was made, there was, and I said this to people, I was shocked. There were, um, there were audible kind of exaltations of, of joy. And, and that might've been from the, um, uh, from the technical side of the guys, the cameramen, the audio guys. Who are, who are less obliged to, to, to play it square. Well, yes, to play by media <laughs> adequate rules, right? That's right. So, uh, um, you know, that was kind of a bit of a revelation to me just to show you that people want good things to happen in the city still. I mean, even after all the suffering, you, people still have hope. People still, you know, hope for the best. And, and uh, once that happened, um, you know, there was a buzz in the room for the next little while until uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff came in. He was the first GM to uh, to speak, and he looked overjoyed, too. He kind of looked dazed a little bit, this, like, good fortune and smiled on his franchise, too. And we'll probably wind up with, a you know, a replacement for a team of Solani, uh, you know, in a lot of ways in that city. It's a nice reminder that maybe there are actually hockey gods out there that giveth and, and taketh away. So, you know, that happened, and then uh, Brandon Shanahan came in, and... Um, and he was a little more measured, I think, as he should have been. Like he, you know, he made sure um, that he didn't want to anoint a savior, which I think was, you know, the right thing to do. Um, talked about how it has to be a team process, and you know, you you win as a team. So, um, you know, everything was managed, I think, as you wanted it to be. And and um, when we saw the TV feed of of Austin Matthews overseas uh, commenting, he looked maybe a little bit overwhelmed by it. But that's not. A, I don't think that's a comment on. The organization or the process. I think if you look at most young guys in that position, they all kind of look it's over. Four in the morning, right? Finland too, right? <laughs> that's I, right I that's mean, right. I God knows I look pretty haggard at four in the morning, <laughs> right. let alone answering questions about the next how many years of my life. Your so, future. That's right. Uh, it, and there's no secret. Obviously, we don't know who the Maple Leafs will pick, mm-hmm. and it's been this draft has kind of been framed in a lot of ways as not a surefire first overall pick. But I think what we've seen over the last few months is people kind of re reevaluating that i know 12 months ago it was you know connor mcdavid and he's he's the guy and mm-hmm, you know, generational Jack, player gener- right with matthews and and that I, I don't know that he's necessarily held in the same esteem that connor mcdavid is but mm-hmm. i also know that we've seen over the last couple of months that patrick line jesse Pujarvi, matthew kachuk has really opened up a lot of eyes as the london knights have progressed mm-hmm. in their playoff run this draft could stand to be quite a bit more interesting at the top of the board than perhaps we anticipated a year ago when people started looking past Connor McDavid and okay, what's coming up in 2016? Mm-hmm. It, it appears to have really the the field has gotten quite a bit closer together. Yeah, and I think that's before you even factor in, you know, what happens at Ford. Does Edmonton trade that pick? Do they trade down? Do they, you know, the, they talk to the Islanders, for instance, about Travis Hamanick. I mean, there's there's something where you think that might be a fit for. For both teams, for the Isles to build for the future, for the Oilers to get a defenseman that can help them uh, right away. So I think, uh, yeah, I think whether it's you know, uh, you know, some of the prospects that are maybe moving up the charts uh, late, and, and now we're seeing them at the uh, uh, at the World Championship uh, on display. You know, they're going to have a chance to kind of jockey for position still, and um, you know, and even though as you say, it's not, you don't get the same sense from people that you know, there's Connor McDavid is that type of player at the top of the draft. 
I mean, if Austin Matthews turns out to be, again, you don't want to project too much, but, but a John Tavares type of player. John Tavares didn't set the world on fire when he first got to the NHL, but would you want John Tavares on your team now? I think anybody that's watched the playoffs would say absolutely, and he is somebody that you can build a team around and, and that can be there for you. So I think those players at the top of the draft, you know, maybe just one through three at least, are, are that type of player. And when people say franchise players, I, I always think of it differently now. I think of franchise players not as a – a Sidney Crosby type, but as a player that's going to be with your franchise forever, for their entire career, that's somebody that you would never give up under really any circumstances. And I think those type of players, the Leafs are clearly going to get one of them now. I think it's interesting now, too, because I, I, I know there's been a lot of talk in so far as oh, the first overall pick, that doesn't guarantee anything. And you're right, it doesn't. It absolutely mm-hmm. does not. But at the same time, you look at the evolution of, of the scouting and player evaluation process over the last few years. Like If you look at the last 15 years of the draft, there really aren't any quote-unquote busts anymore. Right. You know, you, uh, I'm sure people listening to this might argue, you know, oh, Neil Yakupov didn't turn into what he was supposed to be. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he, had, he had a 20-goal season his rookie year, which was a 48-game lockout-shortened season. He, right. he had the makings of a, you know, a productive NHLer, and I think he's just kind of been... A casualty of a team that hasn't had much success and you develop bad habits and those become part of who you are i have no doubt that you know there's been talk that maybe he gets a fresh start somewhere i have no doubt that he could become a very productive Mm nhl he's got mm -hmm, the tools mm -hmm. Uh, but by and large there aren't really guys where you can point to and be like oh man that first overall pick was a total miss i mean i'm sure right right. and you know uh, the season where eric johnson went first overall comes to people's minds as well where you know Mm -hmm, jonathan mm -hmm. taves (laughs) <laughs> Might have been a guy. <laughs> probably goes <laughs> first overall. Right. Uh, but twenty twenty hindsight is what it is, right? I mean, it is, right. and right. and that's kind of that thing where you know this team is stu- it, and I think we're perhaps even two zeroed in on this first overall pick. It's mm-hmm. nice. It's very nice. But mm-hmm. at the same time, this team has the most draft picks or tied for the most draft picks in this draft. Right. They have three picks in the top thirty-one when you consider first overall and thirty-first overall, and wherever the Pittsburgh Penguins wrap up their season. Mm-hmm. This is a great opportunity for the franchise, not just with whoever they take at first overall, but also you know who they wind up taking in the 20s, who they take at 30, and who they take throughout the draft, because you could have a double-digit number of you know quality prospects if mm-hmm. last season is any indication, where pretty much every single player that was selected by the Maple Leafs wound up having a great season this year and figures to be in at least the periphery of the plans going forward. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you know that's again not even factoring in the idea of. The team may decide to make, you know, parse package a few of those draft picks together to move up if they like a player. I mean, that option is there for you. And um, I know they did that kind of the opposite way where they moved down a couple picks last yep. year and got more picks. I mean, to me, you know, that's what you want to do. And, and I think what has been lacking in Toronto for a lot of years is that that commitment to drafting and development, right, where you, you kind of hand your future over to your scouts as opposed to handing it over to your trading partners. And, and I think that's the best news for this franchise that you could ever hope for because you've clearly got someone in uh, in Mark Hunter who you know knows junior hockey and the amateur world as well as anybody um, central scouting again does you know they do their own stuff and and you know I think the game it's hard to imagine that we can do a better job of covering these young players you know some things are going to go wrong some players aren't going to develop some players are going to come out of nowhere that's just kind of the nature of the business but I think as long as you have 
a team in place and, and you see progress, you know, that's what you should be happiest about. And I think for the Leafs, they've, again, if you look at their situation, even between this time and this year and last year, salary cap flexibility, I think a lot of people might not have expected that they would have the same degree of cap flexibility. Um, the number of players, as you say, you know, even guys like Andreas Johansson um, coming over f from Sweden. Um, Travis Dermott, I mean, all these guys, they're all in the mix, and that's what Mike Babcock said at the end of the season was that he's happiest that there are a lot of them. He's not happiest with one particular player or William Nylander or whomever. He's happy that there's competition, there's real competition, and I think that's what I'm excited to see come the fall. And that'll be really interesting, too, because I think if we're thinking ahead, there's going to be a ton of bodies at training camp in the fall, mm -hmm. and you, if you're drawing out the projected lineup on a napkin when with the additional flux of you know who are they going to take first overall mm -hmm. could they be in the mix to make the team you would think so at first overall in the in the year 2016 it's pretty rare that that doesn't happen these days right but you you kind of have these overarching contexts of and then you have free agency like does the team use a similar blueprint to what they did last season where you get these kind of veteran guys who you think you can get at a bargain who can be productive players for you mm -hmm. and you bring them into the mix to really kind of challenge these younger players and force the younger players like you know your William Nylanders your Connor Browns your Nikita Sashnikovs mm -hmm. you bring in these guys who have 300 400 500 NHL games and you force them to raise their play basically yep. you know you want a job in the NHL you have to beat this guy who's played 500 games mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's an interesting mix and there's a lot of options and you speak about flexibility there is cap flexibility there is draft picks are a currency of their own we, we, we talk about a monetary salary cap there's no salary cap on how many draft picks you can have and the Maple Leafs mm -hmm. right. are among the lead leaders in the near future in terms of just having that currency to their name it's going to be very interesting to just see how this management group navigates all these options ahead of them and I have no doubt obviously the Maple Leafs have the only Hall of Fame general manager in the <laughs> league right now which is right. a nice thing to be able to say mm -hmm. but it really is tough to forecast where this team will be six months from now because there are just so many variables and if a guy like you know a Connor Brown has an incredible has an incredible Calder Cup playoffs comes back has another great summer like he did a year ago like all of a sudden you know maybe you pencil him in on your napkin on the fourth line right all of a sudden could he be in the top six play he's produced at every level it's an interesting time to be around it's an interesting time to kind of play armchair coach and GM and president mm -hmm. and it's very very fascinating uh, and you that's not even considering, you know, where we're talking about this number of draft picks. Like, you could trade those for assets because at the end of the day, and I think that's one thing, we talked about this earlier in the season with the Michael Grabner trade. I know a lot of people, you know, why do you trade five young players for one player? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your standard player contract slots are, you only have 50 of them. That's right. And to give up five for one affords you a lot of flexibility to get the type of player you want. And realistically, I think the, you know, if we look at the, trajectory of the players that the Maple Leafs gave up in the summer. I mean, uh, Taylor Beck was moved uh, again. Matt Tom Finn. Nielsen was waived outright uh, mm -hmm. and, and has since gone back to Sweden. Matt Finn spent the majority of his season in the ECHL. Right. Carter Verhage, same deal. And Christopher Gibson was kind of up and down with the Islanders and the Bridgeport mm -hmm. Sound Tigers. In, mm -hmm. uh, was in goal, actually, for Game 3 when the Marlies <laughs> eliminated Bridgeport. Right. But you, you kind of have to weigh the benefits of you know do we hold on to these lottery tickets and hope they work or do we try to get flexibility to do things that we think would work better for us in in a more certain sense right and these are all kind of things that you're you're just kind of looking at these things in the air going where is it all going to land and you know 27 draft picks in the next three years that's over half your contracts lost that's theoretically right. that's if right. you want to right. if you want to make these work out so it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic and, and it really offers a lot of 
I guess, possibility is the, is the best way to put it in terms mm-hmm. of what this team can do going forward. Yeah, and I, I think, as I mentioned, Mike Babcock said, you know, something at his year-end press conference about, um, you know, we didn't have enough players at the start of the season for the number of spots that were available. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think you could do more of a 180 at this point on, on that position than, than the team has done. Now they have an abundance of players. They might not all be at their peak. They might not be all 100% NHL ready. Um, but now you've got, as you say, in addition to guys like Sashnikov and Zach Hyman, who to me seem, if not locks, then close to it for next year's team. You've got Brooks Light. You know, potentially coming back if nothing happens with him. I mean, he's he was a great leader in the in the short time he was here. Um, you know, he's going to be pushing the guys. You know, he's going to be there to kind of steer you uh, as a young team, maybe through the ups and downs, and and focus on that rebuild. He was truly excited to uh, to have that challenge in front of him. To his credit, so um, you know, I, I think of those guys. I think of of again the you know the guys that have. Uh, uh, you know, even Casper Kapanen, who I think you and I talked about uh, at the Marley's game. I mean, he may not make the Leafs roster next year. He's still 19 years old, right? He is he's, 19 years old. He's going to be maybe in a position with the Marley's next year to be the guy if William Nylander's mm-hmm. not there. Um, so that's what you want. You want to have this system that, um, you know, that not only builds for the now, but is, is still building so that there is no lag, there is no you know, let down at two or three years down the road. And I think with this kind of influx of young players now, you're going to be able to, as you say, you know, play the trade market, play the free agent market, um, and maybe, you know, be in a position now where um, you can uh, take a short-term chance on a veteran player that might not have made sense to you a couple of years ago. So, uh, as you say, the variables are, are crazy, but that's what makes the summer fun because, as you all know, we all kind of wake up at one, on one day in the summer and a trade happens that you never would have imagined mm-hmm. and, and a signing happens that you might not have imagined. Um, so to me, that's the best part of the offseason is just kind of seeing where the chips fall. And it is interesting the way these prospects will be staggered throughout the system in that you will get guys coming up through the Marlies and the Sound Tigers, or not the Sound Tigers, pardon me, the Solar, Solar Bears. Bears. I've right. got the Marlies on the brain. <laughs> right. uh, the, okay. As long as I don't call anybody the Devils, that, that can get especially, especially confusing. That's right. The When you think of just how, in terms of age and experience, how they'll be staggered throughout the system in different years, and we we talked about this specifically, mm-hmm. you know, there are a couple moments in games where you, you see maybe a guy like Kasperi Kapanen or Tobias Lindbergh, like younger players who are, who are fairly new in their career, maybe haven't played a ton of senior level pro hockey mm-hmm. where maybe they're a bit more deferential where right. you know you're right. on a two-on-one with a guy like Nikita Soshnikov, William Nylander you're you're looking past first whereas right. eventually you want to see these guys take that next step to be assertive to be confident in their game and take that shot and be the guy and and Connor Carrick's a good example of that right now. It's, right? He's been fantastic. Right. And, and again, this is another guy where you look at some creative signing and, and draft pick swapping and, and mm-hmm. contract play. That's how you get a guy like Connor Carrick in your system where you know, you're know you willing to take on a contract like Brooks like to get a veteran asset that you want mm-hmm. who's the type of guy in the dressing room and that you want to have influencing your next generation of players. Mm-hmm. You move out a guy like Daniel Winnick who you signed to, to a deal – uh, that was very friendly to the, both the team. It was beneficial to the player for a guy who's played the majority of his career on one-year deals. Mm-hmm. And you just do a quick pick swap. That's how you get a prospect, the caliber of Connor Carrick, which is why this is crazy <laughs> that you know you look at these options and how creative you can get in the modern-day NHL, which really structure forces creativity. And That's you look right. at the constraints that the system places on you. You have to be creative. You have to be thinking of different ways to do things. And I think the Leafs are of the mindset right now that if you want to pay us and, you know, 
picks and prospects because you think you want this that's mm-hmm. fine we'll, mm-hmm. we'll happily play that ball game with you mm-hmm. but we're gonna make sure we get x y and z taken care of and it's it's been a lot of fun and, and it's definitely it's it's fun to speculate too it is it is well and i, and I think to the you know the notion that that there's going to be a price established for some of these assets a pa parento was a great example of that last year right where one of the better players on the team a veteran guy everybody thought he was going to be moved out um no gm wanted to step up to the table to value it and so lou said okay sorry then he's he's going to finish out the year and uh, and he still finished strong to his credit so i mm-hmm. think um you know with connor again you had to recognize not only um, you know that this was this was a young, good young player. There are a lot of good young players in the league, but where Washington was in their competitive cycle um, didn't leave a lot of room for opportunity for a guy who's 22 years old mm-hmm. or 21 years old. Um, so this is a perfect situation for him. Him, he recognizes that. I think, you know, in talking to him multiple times now, he he understands that. Again, there's going to be competition. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev, we haven't mentioned his name yet, right? Well, he's coming up. He's coming up, but I mean, there's another one. So right away. You know, that defense core that some people thought might have been a little threadbare at times, you know, not only has Connor Carrick in competition, not only Zaitsev in competition, but Frankie Corrado um, is going to go home and probably work like a demon to, you know, build his physique and maybe be a little bit stronger at the NHL level. Um, in addition to the Jake Gardners, in addition to the Morgan Rileys, I mean, to me, the defense, again, it's for my money personally, at least, that's how you build a, a great team. And, and you look at the teams that are still in the NHL playoffs, they've all got mobile, balanced defense cores for the mm-hmm. most part. And I think that um, that's just another indication that it's not just the forward units that we're talking about where there's now depth and competition. Um, it's the defense too. And, and I think goaltending might be a little bit behind compared to those other two. But again, that's how you address organizational needs, right? You might parlay some of these players and picks into um, a goaltender, you know, that that doesn't have a, an A1 role right now. Matt Murray, people I know speculated with the Penguins, didn't work out, and, and I don't think the Penguins are giving him up for any money at this no. stage. But uh, but that type of player, right, where again he just doesn't have the um, you know the opening. Um, you you have an organization now that is full of openings and full of competition. So that that I think is the exciting part is that it's it's a it's a land of opportunity, and at least have a bunch of them. And goaltenders are hard to project, right? Like it's it's by right. far the toughest position to forecast when you're building at a system. You look at the number of incredible goaltenders in the NHL right now who you know aren't necessarily Carey Price, a top ten draft pick, but are more like your Braden Holpe, Henrik Lundqvist type, where mm-hmm. you're looking fifth round or later and finding these guys, and they work out in the long term. So that I'm sure is something that the Maple Leafs will be working on in in, in the coming years. Obviously, you know you pick up a college free agent. Uh, both Antoine Bebo and Garrett Sparks have shown flashes mm-hmm. of of excellence in the AHL this season. And Sparks, of course, had a pretty good run yep. for uh, much of the NHL season as well. Before he, I think he perhaps was pressing a little bit by the end of the we- end of the year and Agreed. maybe lost his little way uh, technique wise. But mm-hmm. uh, to the Marlies, to right. that point, it's been. I guess what we're we're coming up on five playoff games. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you seen from them to this point? It's been first first round was more or less cruise control with with a little blip of adversity here or there. The second round, I have no doubt that Albany is going to be for those who don't know and expect the Marlies to just kind of show up and roll over whoever they're playing. Mm-hmm. This second round matchup is kind of mirrors the Washington Pittsburgh matchup at the NHL level in the playoffs right now, where somehow. <laughs> given right. the way the system works. The Marlies, who are the number one team in the AHL, 
have drawn the number three team in the AHL in around two of the playoffs. That's just how it goes these days. The Albany Devils had this, the second best record in the Eastern Conference. The only reason they aren't the second best team in the AHL is because Ontario in the Western Conference plays eight less games because, again, right. this is how the AHL works. It's an imbalanced it's a, league. It's, yep. a quirky, it's a quirky setup, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here we are. The Albany Devils are a veteran team with with prospects sprinkled in. Uh, obviously, Scott Wedgwood is in goal for them. You have Pavel Zaka, you have Reed Bushi, you have Joey Blandisi. Mm-hmm. You have you have some exciting young talent in there, mixed in with guys who, in a lot of ways, mirror Marley's teams of the past. You think of the Ryan Hamilton type of era where you have these kind of big veteran teams that have been through the AHL battles for years and years. And they're going to try to suck the life out of you. And for a Marley's team that more or less rolled over the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, obviously, I think in the first period in game one where things were a little shaky, mm-hmm. in period mm-hmm. two, 15 minutes of period two in game three, right. the Marley's pretty much had their way with the Sound Tigers. That's not how it's going to go with the Albany Devils. They're going to try to suck the life out of you. They're going to keep you to the outside, and they're going to try and make it as greasy as possible in your end and make life very hard for Sparks and Bebo, depending on who's in on the given night. What have you seen through the playoffs thus far and what do you expect going forward here well I, th- I think you're right I think you know the the Devils you know um, Jim guys like Jim O'Brien the veteran type of players AHL guys who've been you know had that experience um, kind of give them yeah, I'm not gonna say an advantage but the, there's an evening out process or an, an evening up process um, I think that's there that probably wasn't there for Bridgeport who were you know probably you know scraping just to get into the playoffs at the end of the season um, you know, didn't really have a lot of help from the parent team because the Islanders are still mm-hmm. in the playoffs and, and clearly the Devils never made it. Um, so in some ways, it, and I think Sheldon Keefe, the Marley's coach, understood that too and said it really clearly. Like we are, this is probably a, a series that may come one or two rounds too early uh, in a lot of ways. But that's that's the facts and you have to beat yeah. good teams regardless somewhere along the way. So. Um, you know, I think what you've seen so far is that they play smart hockey. They don't give up a lot of odd man rushes uh, at all. I think there might have been one or two. I think Kapanen uh, was mm-hmm. the one that kind of sticks out of my mind from game one of that series where he, he you know, doggedly forechecked on the one side and then kind of got the payback on the other end. Um, but you're going to have to grind out goals. You're going to need, I think, guys like Zach Hyman and Connor Brown to kind of keep around that net, keep around Wedgwood because he, he's seeing everything really well. Uh, right now, all the shots and his positioning is great. And he had a little bit of luck uh, in game one with yeah, some pucks kind of sure. rolling by him too. Um, but you know, I think the other key for me is is um, kind of staying out of the box. They were the penalties were I think a bit of an issue, certainly to start the game. And and you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that always blames it on the refs. But um, the AHL is a development league, not only for players. <laughs> I yes. think sometimes we have to remember yes. that that. Um, that you're going to have adversity in the terms of calls that don't go your way, and you have to overcome them. That's just what good teams do. So, um, I think they've, you know, they, they've got an embarrassment of riches again when you can sit Casper Kapanen for the first game of, of the playoffs and really not miss a beat, um, motivate him maybe perhaps a little bit more to to focus and make the most of his opportunities. Uh, Lindbergh's another example, right, of a guy I think it was a healthy scratch once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that says it all. And and uh, I go back to that that clinching game. Uh, against Bridgeport in Game Three, where they had six goals, five by defenseman, three yep. by Connor Carrick. Um, you know this team is still very, very dangerous. They have the the capability to uh, to come back. I just think they can't uh, they can't rely on their resilience quite so much in this round because um, uh, Albany just has the the veteran uh, capability of of shutting things down, of playing smarter, of uh, of minimizing mistakes that you have to do at this level. And 
obviously prior to the series two beginning the Marlies got a bit of bad news as Andrew Campbell their captain and uh, if you spend five minutes on anyone from the Marlies one of the first things they'll mention is how great he was for the team this year and mm-hmm. how they probably don't get as far as they do to the degree to which they did it without his influence he's he's not going to be playing in this series against Albany right. ideally if the Marlies advance he's back for the conference final against whoever wins between Hershey and Wilkes-Barre I believe is the mm-hmm. other the other matchup yep that's a tough one to swallow if you're that team because obviously you like that calming veteran presence on the back end. He, he's very good at rallying the troops. He's very good at keeping a level head for everybody. Mm-hmm. He's very good at taking care of business in front of the net when people perhaps get a bit too cozy in front of uh, the Marley's goaltender. Mm-hmm. That being said, I do think in the if we're thinking in the grand scheme of development for the Maple Leafs, which I think is the overarching theme of this season, right. this does present a great opportunity to a lot of guys who have AHL or NHL prospects in their head when you think mm-hmm. of you know victor love or when you think of connor carrick who we talked about who's been incredible arguably the best defenseman in the ahl playoffs to this point he's leading the he's leading the league, the league in playoffs scoring, <laughs> right. which right. is which is phenomenal yeah uh, to see uh, a guy like renat valiev who took a seat in in game three against bridgeport and then mm-hmm. came back in the lineup with the camel injury Stuart percy of course these guys are all going to have to shoulder the load and you know in a lot of ways having this opportunity is almost beneficial to them to really step into the limelight and step up and show that they can do it without a guy who's been doing it all year long. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, they need a little bit of help too from uh, from whoever's in net. I know uh, Antoine Bebo didn't have his best game in Game 3 of that Bridgeport series, but uh, but Garrett Sparks didn't let in a goal in the first round, which, you know, you can't ask for more than that, uh, really. And, and even in Game 1 of the, of the uh, second round, I didn't think, you know, yes, the second goal was one that he probably wanted back and the rebound control wasn't there um but again it's it's gonna be hard to win many games when you only score one goal in front of them and realistically this this team more often than not if you let in (laughs) two or less you're you're usually pretty good shape yeah you're you're probably safe so um yeah i think they you know the the defense core is probably um not as deep overall as the forward core but again we have to look at, at the relative uh, astonishing depth of forwards. I mean, I don't know. I don't know too many teams that could boast of that type of depth at any position, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's it's an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways, and and I think Sheldon has kind of um, kept them kept their nose to the ground to the grindstone, and and just let them know again that as you say, it's not going to be a coronation. It's uh, I know Brooks like said that too when he talked to some of the young guys before they went down. You're not gonna you know, roll four games through best of seven series, you're going to have adversity, you're going to lose a game in your own arena, um, and you're going to have to figure out a way to, to win on the road. So um, the challenge is there, and, and, you know, how these guys respond, I think is going to help dictate uh, some of the decisions that are made in the offseason and uh, into next year's training camp. And the Marlies did play game one against Albany without William Nylander or Nikita Soshnikov. Both were kind of day to day with the William had a, an ailment of some sort. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was a cold or a flu, but it sounded like that. And Nikita had some bumps and bruises left over from round one. They sat out game one. They're both back in the lineup for game two. So ideally, Marley's fans and Leaf fans can all rest a little bit easier knowing that two key pieces of our future going forward are going to be healthy and, and able to play with, with nothing too serious, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. Antoine Bebo looks to get back in the net uh, against the Devils. That's the luxury of having two guys who can play the number one goaltender position in the AHL. Yep. And it'll be a fun time. Uh, those of you looking to tune into the games, 
Game two goes Friday night. That's May sixth. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, you'll probably this is when the podcast should be published. <laughs> right. May sixth at Rico Coliseum. It's going to be a sellout. Yep. Uh, I believe that we're into the the last kind of batches of standing room tickets. That's the that's great. The outcry, uh, the 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 outpouring of support we've gotten from the from the public here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So if you can't make it down for game two against Albany, uh, I think we can. I'm going to call it right now. Okay. Get your tickets for Game Six. <laughs> okay, yeah, coming Marley's back next weekend. Right. Come out next week. Mm-hmm. I would be. I think we can expect a long, tough series. I'd be shocked if it didn't go six or seven games. I would be yep. genuinely shocked. These teams are very closely matched. They're going to take each other to the brink. Come back, Rico Coliseum, Game Six, Marley's.ca. Pick up your tickets. And uh, for those of you who want to watch the games while the Marleys are not in town. Uh, Rogers TV will have game two. You'll be able to listen on TSN 1050 on the radio and stream the games on Marley's.ca. That's audio. That's Mr. Todd Crocker on the call. You know him all from this show. Mm -hmm. And on the road, uh, TSN 1050 stays your radio home with Marley's.ca with the audio broadcast. But Leafs TV will be broadcasting the road games from Albany, which is very exciting. So you can keep track of the Marley's wherever they are. And, again, head down to Rico Coliseum for Game 6 and 7 if you're in the greater Toronto area. And that's next weekend, right, for Game that 6 and 7? That is next weekend. So you don't have any excuses about work or anything like that. It's, yes. it's a great building, and as, as we saw when uh, when they came back for that one game for the clincher for Bridgeport, the, the Rico is an amazing building to be a part of when it's full and, and passionate and fans are, you know, are going bananas. So I'm sure that will be the case again. And for those of you, depending on what day you're listening to this, next weekend is the weekend, May 14th, 15th. Yes, that weekend. sorry, so, should specify. Sorry, we'll be more specific there. <laughs> May 14th, 15th, see you at Rico Coliseum. It'll be a good one. This is going to be a great series. It's going to go the distance, I feel like. I know Todd said as much uh, mm-hmm. during our round two preview episode. And I, I can't wait. Game two, it should be. A, it was a long layoff, and yep. you got a little itchy waiting for it. But it's nice to be back. In the interim, mm-hmm. before the Marlies kicked off their second playoff round there was some additional news for the Maple Leafs and a young player level who Nikita Zaitsev has been linked to the Leafs for a long time now and finally put pen to paper this week and will be coming over to join the club next season after a pretty stellar career in the KHL with CSKA Moscow he's arguably the best defenseman not in North America I think that that's a fair argument he's 24 Mm -hmm. years old He's a big kid. He moves the puck well. He's he's heavy on his skates, and he's got some grit to him as well, which right. I know a lot of people always kind of, yeah, it's that old stereotype. That jerk. Perhaps yeah. the, the guys coming over from Russia don't play with as much fire. If Nikita Soshnikov hasn't dispelled <laughs> that for right. you, then ideally Nikita Zaitsev will. Glad really stocking it. up on Nikitas as well, That's right. um, <laughs> which is an interesting thing to, to monitor. But yeah. it is definitely an exciting an exciting pickup for the Maple Leafs. And I think, I mean, the fact that Lou Lamorello more or less came out and said that they expect him to slot in on their top four, the fact he's willing to come out and say that, he's typically very much a cards close Head to the chest best, that's type, right. of, type of guy. The fact he's coming out and saying we expect Nikita to slot into our top four really speaks to the talent they believe they have here. And when you think of Zaitsev potentially next to a guy like Jake Gardner, with Zaitsev, his shooting ability, his, his passing ability, his ability to go back and retrieve pucks, mm-hmm. I mean, 
that's that's a pretty good pickup if uh, you're the Maple Leafs looking for a guy just off for free. Yeah, well, I was going to say that to me that's the key is that it's it's an asset that doesn't cost you anything other than the money that it takes to sign him, right? And um, and I believe it was the one-year deal that he signed. Yes, so. it's a one-year entry-level deal. So in a lot of ways, you have <clears> an additional flexibility where right. you know if there's a bit of growing pains, you, you get a second contract perhaps <clears> at a more reasonable price. And <clears> if he sets the world on fire, you're happy to have him as a restricted free agent. I was going to say that's, that's a price that they'll be happy to pay. So I think... Um, you know, he's somebody that clearly is, is played in a league where you're playing against grown men, where you're playing, you know, against guys who who want to win, um, and you're playing in front of, of you know your hometown fans and, and doing your best. You really couldn't question uh, his effort. And, and to your point, in the few clips I've seen him, you, you kind of see that vision, that um, that puck sense, the the high panic threshold. Um, you know, I think there's there's so many elements to his game that um, that make him stand out as a as a developing young man that um, you know that you just can't acquire. I mean, that's and again, I, I asked this question, Brendan, at the at the draft, but um, the type of player the Leafs are going to get at the draft is the type of player that teams don't trade, regardless of what you think of the player. It's 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 just they're not available. They, they you would have to wait until they're 26 or 27 and they get to their unrestricted free agent years. It's the same as I said for me. I mean, you you're not really going to have the ability to to go to a team and say, I'm sure you have an abundance of these types of great yes, young defensemen. Exactly. Please give us one. They just will not uh, will not do it. So I, I think to to be able to have the cachet and to know that again, I think Zaitsev was was in Toronto for the last summer, at least training with Gary Roberts. I believe that's the uh, case. He's mm. he's certainly spent a lot of time in North America. His mm. English is apparently impeccable. We haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, uh, right. just given that he's in Russia right now with Team Russia, playing in the World Championships. For those of you who would like your first glimpse of the newest <laughs> Leafs defenseman. But by all accounts, they believe he's going to be an easy fit in North America. He likes it in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I know I certainly found him on Instagram with uh, photos of the Jays and Orioles playing a ball game last summer. So yep. uh, by all accounts, it looks like he, he should be a pretty easy slide into Ontario. He wants to buy in. And, and again, I think that's something that that was the word that Brennan used at the end of the year was buy in. You start to see more of that now. Um, I think he, you know, with, when you factor in Mitch Marner, who I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about. It's coming up. Uh, coming up too. <laughs> but, um, you know, all these guys, again, on their own, they're great. But as part of the package, as part of the bigger sell package, that's, that's I think, the real key here is whether it's attracting, you know, other management people down the, the road. Do you want to work with these kids? Whether it's other free agent players, do you want to play alongside these kids? Um, you know, that that after a while, management doesn't have to do any selling right you've you've built a a base of talent um, and people can choose to be a part of it if they want to you might be able to get some leverage uh, salary cap wise from certain players who might have wanted more on a more kind of threadbare roster Um, you know now now they may take a little bit less to be part of a of a team that they sense is on on the rise so um, I think the the whole picture and and the notion that um, that the Leafs are really leaving no stone unturned in, in terms of giving themselves the best advantage. Like that, that's what drives me a little bit crazy at times when people say, "Oh, Toronto, you're using your largesse, you know, as an organization in a way that small market teams can't." Well, Tampa Bay gets to use their sunshine in a way that Toronto really and can't. The state and the state system. tax system. I mean, you know what I mean. So all these teams, they have their their individual advantages. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I believe this notion of total parity is garbage, anyway, since you know. Uh, I won't get into the politics of it, but the the notion that you know you can't let a fan base or a, an organization that's successful enjoy some of the fruits of that yeah. success, I think, is is uh, in disingenuous to me. So I think you you know you want to see 
um, you know, the team saying, okay, these are the rules. We're going to play within them, uh, but we're going to give ourselves every advantage within them. Yep. We're not going to sit back and play by a gentleman's set of rules just because you've imagined them as an opponent mm-hmm. that you probably don't don't follow yourself when it comes to your own advantages. So I think you, as long as you see that that willingness for management and ownership to do that, you have to be happy and you have to think, you know, what more could the team be doing? I don't think they could be doing more. No, and it's we've seen a lot of that the last couple of years, just in terms of you look at the strides made uh, from the research and development point of view and in the induction of uh, analytics into the Leafs' decision-making process, the bulking up of the scouting staff under Mark Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, the addition of Lou Lamorello, the addition of Mike Babcock, uh, and, Kyle and, Dubas, yeah. and Kyle Dubas, and mm-hmm. you think of the people that they've individually brought in, who they trust and who they who they want evaluating players. It's it's all very exciting, and then you you think of the on ice product and a, and a player like Zaitsev, who uh, it should be noted is that kind of for whatever reason mythical right hand shot from the <laughs> point. He's basically like a unicorn, is my understanding. <laughs> is you know the, you start to see all these things kind of come together, and it's very exciting to be just privy to that, and you start to see things and in, in where you get a sense of where things are arcing and what the narrative will be going forward, and with such a young core, it'll be key to grow it the right way it's kind of like mm-hmm. a garden right you, mm-hmm. you, you want to you need to tend it a certain way to get the result you need and that's really what you're dealing with when you have all these young athletes but it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun thing to to watch and to monitor i certainly am looking forward to development camp in in july and when you look at all these young pieces i mean i'm excited to see how nikita zaitsev does in his rookie season all of a sudden and you know this is a guy who we've seen people come out and say I can think of uh, Ryan Whitney uh, mm-hmm. who I know has gotten some some limelight for his his kind of KHL breakdown he had, he had a stint over there some great stuff yeah. and he was talking about Zaitsev impressing him along the lines of Artemi Panarin who obviously had a great rookie season with the Chicago Blackhawks I'm not going to come out and say <laughs> that Nikita Zaitsev is going to be the Artemi Panarin of the blue line but right. you, you have that kind of just talent base and that you can go out and get a player and it's 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 exciting and Leaf fans should be excited to see the team acquiring a player of that ilk and you know maybe he doesn't work out it, it's it, things happen mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't happen but at the very least I think that there's justification for being excited when you see a team bringing a player of this caliber from perhaps somewhere where you haven't seen games yeah yeah and, and I'm trying to think of the exact phrasing of uh, of the old cliche about you know a, a high tide lifts all boats type of thing, uh, yeah. um, but that's what I think of too. It's like Zaitsev gets here and all of a sudden, okay, again Frankie Corrado, how hard did you work this summer? Yep. You know, Carrick, how hard did did you work this summer? I mean, nothing is going to be um, just handed over to you just because you have a name or just because you were acquired in a trade or or just because you were a draft pick. You're all under the same umbrella now, and you have to keep up with the guys like Morgan Riley who showed again we have barely talked about him so far right which is kind of crazy because he's been a staple <laughs> of every other episode of the show but right point taken but then again the way he came out at the end of the year you know in the absence of Dion Phaneuf when he was traded and taking on more minutes as the season went on uh, Martin Marinson you know showed I think elements of his game that nobody really could have foreseen so mm-hmm. um, it's about just having this kind of competitive um, oven, uh, almost like a train, right? Where you see the, the coal in the oven in the train and you're mm-hmm. just feeding it more to make the train go faster. It may not be, uh, the train still may not get there by the time that, that you would hope to might not get there right away, but uh, the more you can feed the engine, the, the better you're going to be in the long run. Speaking of feeding the engine, mm-hmm. 
we we've talked a lot about these exciting young players. Obviously, we touched on the Marlies and William Nylander and Connor Brown and Kasperi Kapan and those types of guys. Nikita Zaitsev now in the mix at the NHL level, uh, foreseeably on the blue line. There's still a lot of guys coming up the junior pipeline, <laughs> right. and one of them who will rightfully so receive a lot of plaudits this summer is Mitch Marner, the Maple Leafs' fourth overall selection from the 2015 NHL Draft. I'm sure you've all watched him on YouTube and, mm-hmm. and caught. I know a lot of people <laughs> have done their best to catch London Night games uh, when they have the opportunity. Marner this week awarded the 2016 Red Telson Trophy for the most outstanding player in the Ontario Hockey League. Most recently, actually, there two years ago, I guess it would have been, uh, won by Connor Brown. That's right. Uh, who was with the mm-hmm. Erie Otters at the time. And... When you consider that, you know, Connor Brown did that as a as a guy who potentially could have come back the next year as an overager and Marner still has potentially another year of junior eligibility left as a junior. <laughs> right, right. It's it's very impressive to just see that kind of trajectory to see his season that he's had. I know some people will attribute the season Marner's had to the presence of a guy like Christian Dvorak, a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who obviously is an elite NHL draft prospect coming up this summer, mm-hmm. who I mean, you know, these might be as high as number four. Might be yep. as high as number four. Yep. But it's it's going to be interesting to just kind of see Marner and how he does. Because realistically, if you're Mitch Marner, you were sent back to the OHL this season by the Toronto Maple Leafs and issued a challenge to have a great season, dominate, and come back next year and try and make our club. And by, I think, all accounts, he's more or less done that. And mm-hmm. he's been mm-hmm. a fantastic player all season for the London Knights. And to get rewarded by being named the most outstanding player in the league when you have so many other great players, two on your line, mm-hmm, right. and then you think, you know, a guy like Dylan Strom is, is playing in Erie, who he, they, they bounced in four games mm-hmm. in the playoffs. That's It's a pretty impressive accomplishment for such a young player who is looking to build his resume and head into the summer strong, looking to make the Toronto Maple Leafs next season. Yeah, and let's not forget, I mean, the pressure of, of you know, being that focus for the Leafs and Leafs fans and London Knights fans. I mean, London's an incredibly high-pressure market, right, for the uh, for junior hockey in general. So uh, you're on a team that, that has high expectations. You're as part of a big organization that has high expectations. Some players buckle under that uh, under that stress, and, and you really didn't see that from Mitch at all this year. Again, you, you saw a creative player. You saw somebody that I think is going to to utilize his strength out there. He's never going to be Frederick Gauthier uh, sized on the ice. <laughs> That's right, who amongst us is. Um, but, you know, he he has elements to his game that very few players do have. And so I think when you, when you factor him in, whether he winds up making the team next year or goes back, um, because he can't play in the American League, right? Unless they make yeah. a change in the summer that He's nobody's really expecting. He's in that really kind expecting. of weird bubble zone with the birthday. That's right, with the tweener type of thing. Um, so he's going to have a challenge either way next year, right? Which is, you know, um, adjusting to a man's league or, you know, basically being the man in, in a boy's league, which is the way he was a lot of times this year. So I, I think he's you just want to see that dedication to your craft. Um, and he showed that. And then he's, you know, he said all the right things. He's not necessarily playing... Um, you know his natural position or center, or you know where he, where he kind of slots in there. I think uh, is will be up to the fates, and and I think the position or the the state of the organization when he gets here. Um, but you just want to see somebody that's ready to play and ready to work, and so far he's shown that. He has, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, if you've had the chance to watch him, I think he's much more 
of a well-rounded player than perhaps people gave him credit for or people were aware of uh, heading into the season. I think I know a lot of people see the point total and they assume that he's just a one-way burner, but he <laughs> right. does actually <clears throat> play the penalty kill. He plays defensively very responsibly. He's got a good motor in all in every zone, and he plays with a bit more of an edge than I think people realized. He's he's happy to mix it up. He's happy to get in on the forecheck, and he's happy to mm-hmm. perhaps draw that negative attention. Use his body. And yeah. I think that that's also exciting as you look to craft this identity of a team you kind of get a good mix of these guys now where everybody looks like they're playing all three zones and you, you kind of see this identity being forged from even the types of players you're picking up in junior mm-hmm. where they're learning how to play the game properly that the team would basically I mean the, ideally this team hits a plug and play point right where you, right. you have junior right. players coming in the learning curve uh, is much more getting acclimated to the speed and the decision making required right. versus you have to play in the corners you have to go get the puck back you, mm-hmm. and right. that's part of the learning process in any level but I think they'd like to exploit that as much as possible and the reality is a lot of these guys and I think of Marner and I think of a guy like Dmitry Timoshov who's been producing at a pretty stellar clip in the queue mm-hmm. uh, Martin Jerkles as well a, a Latvian prospect also selected in last year's draft these guys have all kind of come out of this mold of high motor guys who are productive offensively but aren't outclassed in, in the other zones as well yeah and I, and I think of, of guys too like Brendan Leipzig Yep. At the Marlies level, you know, Western League scoring champ, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, with Portland, and and has kind of grown his game. I think to be, the, for my money, the most probably the most consistently enjoyable Marley to watch this year, and somebody who, you know, who didn't start the year off necessarily uh, with his best foot, and and didn't have a great look with the Leafs at training camp. Um, but but again, all, all the team can really do, and and this is where I kind of fall squarely as a as a Mike Babcock disciple type of player all they can do is offer you the opportunities right all they can say is look this is what we're asking from you um, and you know nobody's asking too much as we mentioned off the top and Shanahan said no matter who the team picks they're not going to be asked to carry this team on your back you're just going to be asked to work hard to um, to play the game the way they want you to play in and if you can do that um, they're going to take care of you I think that's that's what's been reassuring so far and and you know even something like Morgan Riley said at the end of the year that the direction is is palpable now that they kind of know where they're headed there's no uh, question up in the air of of you know what type of team this is going to be and and so I think whether it's you know, guys like Leipzig or Sashnikov or, or Leo Komarov you know what I mean Nazem Kadri it's uh, everybody on this team if, if you aren't able to kind of welcome the physical attention that comes your way as a skilled player you're probably not going to survive here very long so I think Marner fits into that mold and, and yeah, clearly his his upper level um, ceiling is much much higher than most people's it is and mm-hmm. It's certainly going to be fun to keep an eye on the London Knights as they progress in the playoffs. Obviously, they'll be pushing for a berth in the Memorial Cup. Mm. They look like a heck of a team right now. I, I know the Niagara Ice Dogs are having a, a magical season in their own right, but mm. uh, you'd have to think that at this point, the Knights, uh, I've seen so many of their games, so many clips where they look like the Harlem Globetrotters out there. <laughs> it's pretty incredible to see, and certainly another thing to to keep tabs on is these, these players winning winning titles and, and playing a lot of playoff games. I mean, you think Andreas Janssen came over mm-hmm. from Sweden just uh, last week, and you know this is a guy who's coming here as a as a Swedish Hockey League champion, right? Exactly, and, and exactly. In a men's league, right? Yeah, right. and, and mm-hmm. that's a tough league. He's been playing in it for a number of years now, and you know this is this is the type of thing you're trying to build that you get every bunch of people used to winning, and they don't take losing very well. The pedigree, and, mm-hmm. exactly. The pedigree, and that's that's. 
That's great news. Yeah, yeah. And Travis Dermott's another one that we haven't mentioned. Yeah, right? he's, I mean, he's uh, for those also mm-hmm. uh, keeping tabs on other Leafs prospects. Travis Dermott joining the Marlies on a PTO. Uh, Andrew Nielsen, of course, already there. So you're you're already kind of seeing that spice of the 2015 NHL draft begin to filter into the actual Process. professional hockey product. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, again, as long as that pipeline keeps delivering, then that's that's all you can ask for. Is just that constant flow of competition and. Uh, and hungry guys who who aren't satisfied with uh, with where they are today. That's that's what propels a team forward. I think that I think that may be it for. I think we, episode twenty three may end on a pipeline metaphor. <laughs> Very good. Well, we didn't stop for any breaks, so we we kind of pushed uh, pushed our own game up. Uh, yeah, it's, you know what? It's mm-hmm. the off season. You gotta you gotta come out and compete. That's get ready for the season. <laughs> right. I think we're challenging ourselves. That's right. Uh, as a whole, there's uh, probably young po- podcasters out there too that are. You know, would replace us if, yeah, if, absolutely. if we don't raise 18 to 22 year olds coming <laughs> for us every day uh, I guess we can end it though the Toronto Marlies obviously back in action in the playoffs I guess what have you seen from the club and, and what do you expect in the next coming games uh, particularly with this all important game too in Enrico Coliseum looming yeah well I think you're going to see them coming out um, you know really focused the building's going to be packed as you said and uh, and the fans are going to be expecting a lot. I think they have had some issues in the postseason getting that first goal. I think there's only really been one game out of the four where they've scored first. Yeah, uh, it would be the, the shutout. The three-nothing game, that's right. Um, so, you know, to me that that's important, and, and staying out of the box is important for them too, even though, you know, you do want to encourage them to play a kind of robust physical game. Um, you don't want to be sloppy or stupid about things and, and you know, allow that, uh, that devil's uh, power play, which is very good, um, their special teams are great for the most part, regardless. Yeah. So Still haven't allowed a power play goal this There this you playoff. go. So, I mean, that's that's a challenge enough for you to stay out of the box yourself because you know that, that they're not going to give you much. So I think they're going to have to, um, you know, kind of rely on those those grinder types. I'm, I'm hoping to, to see a big series from the GOAT, um, you know, to maybe get some of those kind of scrappy goals from out in front where he can use his bulk and his size and positioning to, um, to you know, to knock home a couple rebounds because Wedgwood, again, he's not – really looked like he you know is struggling at all i think he's he's seeing pucks really well and his positioning is great so um it's it's just about you know that kind of patience of playoff hockey where you know that you know for 60 minutes part of your job is uh, clearly to to capitalize but it's also to not uh, leave yourself open uh, to making mistakes to giving the other team opportunities so i think for a young team um, there's a bit of a learning curve there sometimes too and it's just about managing that curve and and as sheldon said even after the first game he didn't think they played a bad game but good games just aren't good enough at this stage you have to be almost perfect well said thanks that's episode 23. Done. Here we are. It's been a while. So it has. It's, it's nice that it's we... It's not as we, long as next time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's been a while, so it's nice to actually you know shake the rust off a little bit. That's right. Get one of these full lengths. Talk about leaves, not just Marley's. Sorry, Todd. Yeah. I'm sure you talked about leaves, too, with Marley. With yeah, here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's there. okay. Yeah. And Todd's a good guy, as we say. So One of the best. Mm-hmm. One of the best. And with that, thank you for listening, everybody. Yep. If you've made it this far, I don't know why I do this now. <laughs> I should really do it at the top of the at the top <clears> of the thing. <throat> if you listen this far, let us know what you think of the episode. Leave us a review wherever you listen to it, be it iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. I know Google's uh, all over the podcast now. Mm-hmm. Send How, us a tweet. Send us a tweet. Yep. Facebook it. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Let us know what you think. Postcards. We'll yes. Take those two. Yeah, right. we do. Yeah. Era of TML Talking <laughs> Podcast here at 50 Bay Street, Air Canada Center. <laughs> right. 
just let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate the support we've received from everybody. You've all been wonderful, and we hope you keep listening. So maybe we'll, we'll do another question type show too, since that was a success. Uh, I think we could do take that. some questions in the summer. Listener, mm. listener questions coming up. Yeah, That'd be great. I'll pencil that in. Sweet, perfect. And with that, <laughs> that's episode twenty-three. Thank you for listening, and we will be back in the very near future for episode twenty-four. See you, folks.